Hello and welcome to the April 29th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe, and it's great to have everybody here with me today. And, of course, it is always wonderful to be out there with you. So today is actually another rainy day in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, and the weather has been somewhat if you know iffy over the last couple of days touch and go here it's been a couple of great days as a matter of fact yesterday was a beautiful day the day before that it was raining and now once again of course like I said it's raining again but I'm grateful that we had a a a sunny warm relatively warm day yesterday because yesterday we actually celebrated my one-year-old Mickey's first birthday party now His birthday was Wednesday, April 25th was his actual birthday, but being that he's one year old, my wife had decided that she was going to throw a party. Now, I've been to quite a few one-year-old birthday parties in my life, and I have to tell you, some of them are quite extravagant. Uh, There have been multiple occasions where people have rented out halls and rented out big party rooms and I look around and I say my goodness this is like a maybe not the size of a wedding but possibly the size of a very large birthday party slash I don't know a retirement party (laughs) Uh, I'm not really sure exactly how to label it in terms of attendance but man I got to tell you pretty extravagant in the sense where I would turn around and say, I would never do anything like this. And and that's not to say that it shouldn't be done. My goodness, if you have the money, if you have the family, if you have children, an only child, if you have multiple children, it's it's what you want to do for that particular child. My thought has always been, what are they going to remember? And... To some extent, I always felt that way because I never cared so much, or at least I learned not to care, what the supposed important people in my life, such as my mother and my father and my grandparents and my cousins and my aunts and my uncles, I never put into perspective the fact that it's not so much about what the kid remembers, but what the family around the child remembers and what a good time they have and how they soak it in and they enjoy it. and It was never like that for me because the way I grew up, it was always perceived as or dictated as, perceived or dictated, either one on either side. When I say dictated, I mean the person having the party. And when I say perceived, the person as the guest of the party. But 
regardless, it was always perceived or dictated as a competition. Most times brought on because of my mother. It was always who, who made the best food, where did they order in from, was it dis- disgusting, was it delicious, who was at the event, who showed her respect, who didn't show her respect, who showed, who didn't show, who acted in a certain way, who behaved properly, and really, when you think about it, in all those aspects, my mother was usually the one that ended up on the negative end of the spectrum. But I never knew about that because the way that she painted the picture, for me, that she was always the best. And I was the best. We were all the best. Our family was the best. And as I grew older, my mentality started to become, well, again, my one-year-old's not going to know about this. What do I care? Because I really didn't care so much about pleasing anybody else because nobody ever aimed to please my children in the sense where they never showed enough respect to not cause drama, to not get too drunk, to not put on a display that was embarrassing. And I guess my experiences with all the parties and all the things that I had been to from a family perspective were never really positive. I always remember, I remember one instance sitting in a basement with my two cousins that I no longer speak with, and I no longer speak with them because my mother alienated us from that relationship as well. It's my father's first brother. Well, first brother. <laughs> there, are, there are no other, there are other, no other kinds of brothers. I guess I was thinking along the cousin line, but what I meant to say was his oldest brother. And uh, that relationship has been tarnished and more or less because of my mother. And I remember sitting in the basement and my mother being drunk and screaming at my aunt, insulting her and saying, you don't care about the Jews and you think the Jews are this and the Jews are that and you insult the Jewish religion and my mother was a Jew and my grandmother was a Jew and I am a Jew and you're a German Nazi and horrible things that I remember. Now that particular aunt was not German but the aunt that was there alongside one of the aunts was German and you know, I, I just, I remember that all going down and all taking place. And I remember, um, I also know that my mother was raised from a Jewish family. My great, my grandmother, who was, for the most part, according to my mother, absent most of her entire life. My My grandfather passed away while my mother was only nine years old, and that led my grandmother to raise my mother and apparently according to my mother my grandmother who was somebody who suffered from mental illness in in a great way in a significant way and I and I have to assume it was bipolar disorder I didn't know enough about my grandmother in terms of her mental illness I just knew that I loved her very very much I remember her as a as a young child, and I loved her very, very much. But according to my mother, 
she was not a nice woman, and not at least to her, and she, she was, she used to engage in horrible, obsessive, compulsive-like behavior, whereas if my mother wasn't clean enough, or didn't fold the right way, or didn't squeeze the toothpaste out of the toothpaste dispenser the right way, she would get smacked with a brush, and, and abused, and hit over the head, and hit on the backside with a brush, and, um, she was out partying, according to my mother. She was um, bringing different men home all the time. Uh, she was doing a lot of drugs and drinking, according to my mother. So my mother ultimately was raised by, by my great-grandmother, who, as a matter of fact, was Jewish. And she was actually Jewish and born, believe it or not. Her birthday was on December 25th. So what that allowed for us as a family was to celebrate the Jewish religion, celebrate her birthday, celebrate both sides of, of the religious spectrum, so to speak, in terms of Judaism and Catholic. And what I do know is after all that ranting and raving that my mother screamed and yelled about in terms of her having Jewish blood in her body, she ended up actually becoming baptized, confirmed, and was a practicing Catholic probably by the age of 30, if I'm not mistaken. My whole childhood is basically a blur when it comes to the, the violence and the, the lack of discipline in terms of the behavior that my parents engaged in, mostly my mother, who, other than my father's drinking and driving, but my mother in terms of alienating other people, getting mad at people, loving people, yelling at people, um, leaving messages on answering machines for people. And um, again, basically my entire family no longer communicates with my mother and father. And unfortunately that has kind of, um, I don't want to say it's not, a, it's not a reflection on me. I think it's my own fault that I've alienated myself and probably because I'm so embarrassed about the way that she acted and still acts to the point where my godfather, who is uh, my uncle and my mother's brother, very, very special man to me growing up, I no longer speak with him either. He's now moved away to a different state. And his words to me when I had spoken to him last, probably about five or six years ago, he said, the reason why I left is because of your mother and because of your grandmother. And so their own brother and son took off to another state. And it never made sense to me at the time because I was still just learning kind of what my mother was all about. Um, although I started to learn around the age of, I'd say, 35, maybe, something like that. Um... It was a very, very, it was a learning experience all the way from the age of 26 up until the age of 42, which I am now, and I learned a lot more as I got older, and well, again, what I do know is that we had a one-year-old birthday party yesterday, and it is something that my wife has been looking forward to for quite some time, and I can't blame her, I can't. This is what a lot of women like to do. And I, I said to myself, I'm going to have or take the stance, the mentality of a person who's going to be extremely proud of my son and extremely excited to 
have a birthday party and show my little guy off to the family and um, see, I don't even know if those are the right words. I think those are the words that are embedded into me by my mother. Show my little guy off. I mean, really, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. What it means is, I'm suppo- my, the the politically correct way of saying all this is, have a wonderful occasion for everybody to enjoy, and celebrate the birth of my one-year-old. My wife goes above and beyond with everything. <laughs> I mean, she went to town with this birthday party. She got all kinds of cakes and. Um, party streamers and pinatas and candy and catering and not so much catering she only got a hero a six-foot hero and everybody else kind of chipped in people brought uh dishes which was awesome i was very happy about that everybody made a certain dish and we actually did not have to rent out a place to be so in terms of an expense, it was great. We didn't want to have it here in Mr. Joe's neighborhood because we were not sure about the actual weather. But my father-in-law, who happens to be part of the fire department for probably 42 or 43 years, he was able to utilize one of the rooms in the firehouse. So it was great. We ended up getting a free room. It was a very homely type of party, if that makes any sense. Now, what do exactly I mean by a homely party, I guess, the best way to describe it, is the uh, firehouse is almost like being in a home. I mean, it had a great setup, had a really, really cool setup. It had a full, a huge, kind of like a U-shaped or um, a half a square bar which the kids got a real kick out of, I have to say, because they were allowed behind there and they were using the uh, the old shoot and spray soda thing and getting everybody their drinks and it was a lot of fun for them. And then it had a, had a kitchen, which was great because we were able to use the stove and put food in the refrigerator. It had a wonderful sound system, which we didn't even need because we had what's called this, uh, I guess you could call it a play hooray kind of party where this, these two ladies came and they did all these songs and dances and took out all these toys and uh, they brought their own music and they were able to do that kind of down in the lower level. It was almost like you went down a couple of stairs and it was like a living room area. It had a TV and it had couches and everybody kind of hung out in there and it was just absolutely awesome absolutely awesome so the one it it was a great day let's put it that way the party the party the birthday party was a great day my wife did an absolutely tremendous job i'm so proud of her and i'm and i'm happy to say that it doesn't matter whether or not my son is going to remember this it doesn't matter because i am going to remember this and um just watching him and watching the smile on his face, and not just his face, but all the kids' faces and the adults' faces, that's what really matters. doesn't really matter. Nothing else matters. Um, nothing, nothing that the bipolar party took into their description, so to speak. <laughs> and I'll explain a little bit more. 
the bipolar party people, because as I looked around, saw a lot of bipolar activities going on. Some that showed up, some that didn't show up. But anyway, for the most part, everybody was laughing and smiling and happy. And the best thing of the entire day was watching my little guy, Mickey, at one year old, go to my older son, Junior, and the love that he has for his older brother. He just wanted to be in his arms. And at one point, with all the happiness that I had for this particular day, at one point I actually started to tear up. I started to cry while I was down in that little family area because they were hugging and uh, my little guy was hugging the big guy and I looked over at my mother-in-law and I saw her starting to cry and kind of just caught on and uh, had to leave the area for a minute. So when I left the area, that unfortunately gave me some time to look around and really analyze what was going down. And I, I guess what I recognized was that everybody, every family probably has some screwed up people in it. And this was no different. Now, one of the most interesting things of all, and I have not gotten to the part yet about my mother, because I would imagine that if you've been listening to my podcast, you're wondering, well, was Mr. Bipolar Joe's mom and dad there? They were. They were. And I'll tell you what led up to the events. I had every intention of keeping my mother out of my life, and um, she will be she will be held at a at a very she's on a short leash. Let's put it that way. Uh, the other day, my father called me, right? I'd say two days before the party, and so this was a Thursday. My father called me and he said, "Son, uh, we would love to come to the party, but if for some reason it makes you uncomfortable, we won't be there. Just give me a call and let me know." And he sounded sincere. And then I got my sister, you know, basically protecting me and texting me and letting me know her conversations with my mother and my mother saying that she doesn't feel comfortable and she doesn't know what's going on. And my sister told my mother it'd probably be a good idea not to show up. Meanwhile, all along, Mr. Joe still hasn't had the nerve to call his mom. And I said, you know what? That's it. I'm calling. And I called from work, believe it or not. I guess there was no other better time or place than to just say, you know what, I'm just doing it. Didn't have a lot of time to think about it, but I knew exactly what I wanted to say. And she answered the phone, and she was immediately upset. Hi, my Joey. You know, that pitiful voice. And then I thought about it. I thought about the fact that I have my mom on the other end of this line. So you're going to to some extent be respectful no matter what she does to you but at the same same extent you're going to you're going to lay into her and let her know what is expected of her although I've done this a million times over but I did take a little bit of a different perspective and I'll tell you why first and foremost she asked if she was still welcome and I said well I said of course you're welcome I said that's never been an issue you were welcome from day 1 I said here's what will make you not welcome I said if you dare come to this party and bring up what you did to my wife or me, or make it an issue, I said, you will be asked to leave. She went on to tell me that 
she was so sorry and she had heard my message and after she had left the message and I said, that doesn't matter. I said, what you should have been doing is calling. If you hadn't heard from us in a few days, you should have been worried. Call us up, say, is everything okay? Do you need anything? I haven't heard from you. Is everything all right? Now, I've already told my mother this stuff and I've asked her to remember when she doesn't hear from me, it doesn't mean that I'm isolating her and I don't love her and uh, but 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 it doesn't work. It doesn't work with borderline personality disorder. But uh, here we are, me having this conversation with my mother, and it could have went a lot smoother had she not come up with a thousand excuses as to why she acted the way that she did. She went on to say that she was coming off medication. Not once did she mention the fact that she was drinking. And neither did I. Neither did I. Why? Why punish somebody even more than they have to be why put somebody through that she's already hurting she's sick to her stomach over what she's done i know i know that because i've done things and afterwards i've thought about them and i felt guilty and i've begged for forgiveness no matter how bad it might have been no matter how poorly i might have treated my wife the things i would say and scream at the names i would call her and i'm supposed to get forgiveness but yet my mother's not. But that forgiveness came with a price in the sense where I was going to explain to her once again, not the rules that she needs to follow, but to understand some of the things that she did was unacceptable. And I told her, just because you're coming off a medication, said that doesn't give you the right to call somebody up and do that. Said it's unacceptable. I said it will never be accepted in my life again. I said, and if you need me to help you to understand what it does to me, maybe this will help you. Because I've always told my mother ways to handle things based on her own emotions and her own feelings. Think about it. I just said before, when I, when I don't call you back, it's not that you're being isolated. It's not that I don't love you. I, I, I went a different route this time. And I said... When I am doing well from a mental health standpoint, and again, I told her, I've come off medicine before. The difference is I sit up in a room and I smash my head against the wall. Now, while I don't want my mother to do that, sometimes it's a little bit better doing things to yourself than saying the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing to other people. And I don't want anybody hurting themselves. That's not what I mean. But... A lot of times when we do damage to other people, that damage cannot be reversed. The only reason why it's being reversed this time is because she is my own flesh and blood and it's my mother. So anyway, I told my mother, instead of using that all on her, because uh, one of the other things she said is, I got your son all these custom things and all his name on them and they're all so beautiful and I have to give it to him. And I said, Mom, this day is not about you. I said, you think everything is about you. And that's what it is. My mother thought everything centers, centers around my mother. And I think this was the first time in my entire life that not only I, but anybody has turned around and said to my mother, this is not about you. This is about a one-year-old baby. This is about his parents who are so proud to be parents. And I said all these things. And I said to her, I said, Mom, 
think about how much you want your son to be well. I said, you don't want me to be sick, Mom, do you? She said, no, I want my son to be well. I don't want him to suffer mentally. It breaks my heart. And she's crying the whole time while this is going on. And I said, well, guess what, Ma? I said, the last couple of days, I've been really stable. I said, I've been doing really well. I found the right cocktail of medication. I said, everything's going really good. I said, you want to know what throws me off, especially when I'm doing really well? And I said, you're not the sole reason. I said, but when I am doing well, there just seems to be every kind of, every time that I'm doing well, you are the source, maybe not the sole source, but the source of what throws me off the train tracks. You're the person that gives me anxiety. You're the person that hurts me. I said, you hurt me last time, a few days ago. I said, I was doing good. I was doing good until I got your message. I said, what do you think, that I don't think about these things, that it doesn't hurt me? I felt like saying, I went on a podcast and I told the world. That's how much it affects me. I said, so when the next time comes that you're going to do the exact same thing that you did on my answer machine. I said, by the way, what if my in-laws were over? What if my sister was over there? Anybody, a guest, they would have thought you were a psychopath. And she is a wackadoo. We all know that. She's a wackadoo. We're all wackadoos. Probably half of you who are listening here are wackadoos. That's okay. It's okay. We're all wackadoos. And you know what? We're wackadoos that are trying hard to get better. So I said to my mother, the next time you think of doing what you did, calling my house and cursing at me or putting down my wife, I said, think about how badly it hurts your son. I said, because when you do that, you are hurting my feelings, but not only my feelings, you're affecting my mental health. You send me possibly back to a doctor because I get so stressed out and my bipolar rapid cycles and I want to run back to a doctor and figure out what kind of medication. Now, come on, I got a little drama, dram dramatic here, but I had to really let her know what was going on. And it's not that far-fetched. It's really not that far-fetched. So, ultimately, she came to the party, and as I stood out above everybody, kind of near this pool table, which was covered up with uh, plywood and had all the food on it, I stood around and I watched the bipolar party <laughs> take place. And my mother was there, and she got there relatively early. Usually, uh, they do get to places early, and it was it was better that she did because nobody was there. I was anxious as all hell thinking about her coming in. She came in. You could tell that she was shaking. She was nervous. It was sad. It was really sad. Uh, but my older children were there, and they made her feel comfortable. And we she she really couldn't sit at first, and then. My father had made a delicious, two delicious dishes of mussels marinara and a mussels in a white sauce, and he brought that in, and my dad worked really hard. He heated them up in the oven, and he served them just right. But guess what? At the bipolar party, you hear about those mussels all party long because that's what Mr. Bipolar Joe's mom will do. Oh, how delicious the muscles are. He outdid himself. 
He's just amazing. Did you like the muscles? Did you like him? How were they? Were they delicious? Oh, my goodness, he works so hard. My husband, he's such a gem. Now, this is what goes on at every party. Usually, it's about herself. I outdid myself. I can't believe it. And again, if God forbid you didn't thank her the next day, or you didn't thank her before you left, or you said the wrong thing about her food, uh, that was the end of the world. So at the bipolar birthday party, you had my mom running around telling everybody how good the food was. Um, then I look at the other side of the family, my, my wife's side. Who do I see? I see Uncle Ted. I see Aunt Laura. They're beautiful people, wonderful people. But Uncle Ted's struggling because he's not drinking. Because the last I heard, he was drinking and popping so many Xanax that he was nearly passing out every day. So I didn't see them have a single drop of alcohol, which is a good thing. But he made some really weird comments. Things that are not even worth repeating. Kind of funny, but not so much. We had my wife's friend's husband, who had me smoking marijuana last event. I did not this time around, although he asked me. I promised you guys I would not be doing that. So we had Mr. Self-Medication going down. I saw him go out about three or four times, and each time he came in, he was a little happier. And that's okay. Go for it. I looked around a little bit more, and I didn't notice my friend there, my best friend. We'll call him Tad. The godfather of my son, he never showed up. Never showed up. And I'm not going to lead, I'm not going to talk about the events that led up to that. He knew, he got an invitation, he knew all about it. He knew in a text message thread, and two of them actually. And he waited till the very last minute to say that his daughters had RSVP'd to a party already. He said he dropped the ball, he forgot all about it. Then he played the game of, uh, I, if I can still come... Even if I'm, if I'm invited, come on, guy, you're invited. My wife even went as far as texting him the invitation. We never heard back from him. Tad suffers from seasonal depression. <laughs> so the bipolar people that were present and the bipolar people that never showed, that's for sure. But it's amazing because, again, you look around, you look around at your family and you see the people that are all really whether they're diagnosed or not, you, you, you're surrounded by people with mental illnesses. And it's just a damn shame that people don't talk more about it. People don't come out about it, so to speak. Uh, because it's, it's really just a shame. If we could all support one another, it would probably be so, so much better of a situation. And that's why I think we have to really work hard, those of us with bipolar disorder, to end this stigma. You know, my kids who were absolutely amazing this entire weekend. Uh, I just, a little while ago, I had to drop them off, take them back home to their mother. They were with me all weekend. It's time to go to school for Monday through Friday. So they go home with their mother and I take them there. And we talked the entire way home. I was grateful because for once their faces weren't buried in their phones. And I made it a point. I make it a point when I'm alone with them and I have that alone time without my wife. Not that she's not wonderful because they love her and adore her and she loves them. 
But when the baby's not around and my wife's not around, I could really talk to my kids. And we talked a lot. And I made sure that I did because I want to keep their face out of those electronics and have some conversation. And what I explained to them, believe it or not, at the ages of 14 and 12, I thought it was a good time to really open up to them about my mental illness. And I did. And I did. And, and, and what prompted it was my daughter asking me, about her grandmother and saying, is she still sick? And I said, well, I said, grandma is always going to be sick. And she said, well, she kind of seemed like she was doing well. And she was, she did well. She did well. She does do well. When she doesn't drink, she does pretty good. When she, when she does drink, she acts, you know, she's usually popping Xanax along with that and slurring her words. But it gave me the opening I needed because my ex-wife, was always one to shelter the kids from that. Every fight we had was more or less based on bipolar disorder. And whether it was me acting like an animal because I was in a fit of rage, in a manic state of mind, whether it was me laying in bed, depressed, not able to get out of bed, whether it was me just going to a doctor to adjust my medication, whether it was me being on a good, even keel, in terms of my mood, none of it was expressed as bipolar disorder. It was either expressed as your father is somebody who can't control his temper. He's not sick. He just can't control his temper. Or mommy and daddy can't get along and we just fight a lot. And that's what my kids grew up seeing was non-stop fighting. You want to talk about divorce. One of the reasons why I started doing this podcast, and originally, my very first episode, I call it Remarried with Children. I had planned on doing a lot, of speaking a lot about autism and a lot about marriage and divorce. I was going to go into a lot of that stuff, probably because my divorce was so fresh in my mind and the amount of money that I spent. But in terms of my relationship with my ex-wife, that's all we did was fight. I mean, there was violence. There was pure violence involved. And those poor kids, they used to run to their room. They would take their little animals with them. If they had a hamster, they would want, run to their room with the cage and they would lock the door and they would hide. And it breaks my heart. But it was never exposed to them. And probably rightfully so. They would not have understood at that age, but they understand now. And we drove home, and I explained to them that, you know, they do know I have bipolar disorder, but I explained a little bit more about it in terms of what it is. And my daughter was really, really curious. And we talked a lot about my marriage, my previous marriage, and they don't place any blame, my kids. They actually blame my ex-wife, and I try to talk them out of that, and I tell them all the time it was 50-50. But they, as they've gotten older, they look at it like my daddy is sick, and my mommy never did anything to help my daddy. And whether that's true or not really doesn't matter. You've got to help yourself, so it doesn't matter. And the, the problem is, even when I tried to help myself in that marriage, she didn't care. None of it meant anything to her. She got mad at that, too. <laughs> anything I did, she got mad at. She got mad when I was sick. She got mad when I tried to get better. She got mad at everything. And my kids kind of remember that and know that. So anyway, I explained the mood disorder. I explained what, what happens with mania and what happens with depression. And what was so awesome about it was I realized that 
now my children have something to look out for. Because I never knew. I never knew. If I would have known that my grandmother had bipolar disorder, and what I mean by that is she broke down in the middle of the city streets in Mr. Joe's neighborhood with my mother, and she was doing so well, according to my mother. And my mother describes the story so perfectly. Your grandmother was doing so well. She was on all her medication. And then she broke down one day and said, I'm losing my mind and I'm, I'm breaking down and I'm so sad. And I had come to find out that grandma stopped taking her medication. Well, that to me is somebody with bipolar disorder. I've never been told it, but it all makes sense. And I even gave that story to my kids. And you know what's so sick? Here's what's the sickest thing of all, is while we're driving, just so you know, we're driving and we're going up to a light. This is how I remember it. This is how I try to paint my pictures for my audience so you know my mind and how it works and where I am. We're making a turn now, a left-hand turn, getting ready to come up to a light to make a left. And we're about a mile and a half away from Mr. Joe's old neighborhood. And... In my mind, after I just said this medication story about my grandmother, I started to tell myself that I didn't need medication. <laughs> I said, I feel so good that maybe I don't have bipolar disorder. And then I said it out loud to my children. And I said, you see that? I said, Daddy actually feels that way right now, that I feel so good that nothing's wrong with me. But I finally found out and realized through trial and error, <laughs> that the reason why I feel good is because I'm taking my medicine. And while this episode was about the bipolar party, it was more about the lesson that I've come up with here. And that is to take your medicine, to never stop taking your medicine. Because you look around, you look around your family, you look around your party, and we all got them. We all have those relatives. Now, most of them were her family. They really were. But I was still able to pick them out. And that doesn't change who they are. They're amazing people. Amazing. Absolutely amazing people. But I saw the people that had anxiety, I saw the people that could not be there without having a drink. And I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to mention any names. I saw a husband of a wife, a husband of a woman who had full-blown bipolar disorder out and about right in front of my face was clearly bipolar. And I don't have to go through the signs because we all know what the signs are. I'm just telling you he had bipolar disorder. I know it for a fact. And this was not a family. This was a friend of a friend. Um, it was a weird situation as well when two people who I had no idea knew each other seemed to know each other, a male and a female. And it looked like the wife was a little upset about that relationship. And just uh, my point is everywhere you go, there's drama. There's drama. And we didn't have, we couldn't have had more than 20 people there. That's it. I think 20 people, maybe with kids, 25. 
all together, not just five kids, but I'm counting all the kids, kids and adults, maybe 25, maybe 30. I, I don't even think it was that many. Mr. Joe is not good at that stuff. But my point is, you look around your family, you got people who fight, people who cause fights, people who self-medicate, people who have mental illnesses that don't take their medication and act like wackadoos. And then you have us, you have the bipolar family here that listens to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast, partly for enjoyment, but partly to learn something. And here's the lesson that we've learned today, that I actually was able to make it through a party for, a long, for once, in a, once in my life. This podcast wasn't about me stressing moving up to the party, stressing on the day of the party. It was all regular anxiety that everybody is allowed to have during a typical party day. And I was good. I mean, my wife left earlier than me. She went to set up a little bit and get the cake. And guess what? I took all three children with me. Put a baby in a car seat. Put my older kids in the car. I was thrilled. I was excited because I am medicated. That is why. I'm feeling really good, guys. I really am. So the moral of this story is to stay on your medication. And if you're not on your medication, get on your medication. Stop self-medicating. It doesn't work anymore. Trust me when I tell you. Now, do I think? Do you think that I wanted a beer yesterday? I absolutely did. I absolutely did. I saw people drinking. There were Bud Lights and there were Heinekens and there were bottles of wine and red and white. And a good number of people were drinking and a good number of people weren't. I wanted one. I wanted a beer. I didn't have one, but I wanted one. But I didn't, and I felt real good about it afterwards. And it doesn't matter. We can't drink. When we're on medication, we can't drink. And life is good. Life is good when you're not depressed. Life is good when you're not manic and running around doing things that you're going to regret maybe for the rest of your life. That's when it's good to be living. So take your medication or start taking your medication or go see a doctor and get on the right path. That's what we need to do. If you're living with a mental illness right now and you're doing well, I want you to keep working hard. If you love somebody with a mental illness, you care somebody with a, about somebody with a mental illness, you have to continue to support them. If they act like my mother, that might be a different story. Not necessarily support. Keep your distance if you have to. But it's still your mother, so you gotta, you got to kind of weigh the balances, weigh it out. If you're struggling with a mental illness, please, I ask you to keep fighting. And soldier on. Thank you so much for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. You guys have a great night. I apologize for not being around for a couple of days. I've been busy, but we're going to get back into it in the next couple of days. Thanks again. See you soon.